Hey guys, you know, all August long, we have been looking at these things that seem to be central to the heart of Jesus, things that, that, that defined his character and things that he calls us to be about. And we've been calling them hills to die on, meaning these are things that are so key to Jesus that if we were to lose these, to walk away from these or to minimize these, it's like we're better off just shutting the doors. Today is hill number five. All right, here it is. A missional spirit infused into the fiber of everything we do. Now, let me give a little verbiage to that. Here's how we put it here. We believe God yearns to redeem and to restore every aspect of who we are and all his creation. We believe the church is meant to partner with God in bringing his restoration to our world. God's call is not for us alone, and fellowship of faith exists for something bigger than itself. We don't see this mission as one component of the church. We see it as every component. Now, just go with me on something here this morning. I I, want to lay out a, a series of propositions. And, and whether you believe them or not or agree with them or not, I, I just want you to go with me and entertain these possibilities, okay? Imagine for a moment that there is more going on in this universe, in this world, right? Imagine there is more going on than meets the eye. That, that reality exists deeper than just the things that we can touch and see and hear and feel. Now, just imagine that for a minute. Now, imagine within that, that this deeper thing going on is rooted in a personality. And let's just call him God, all right? That, that God exists and that God is fundamentally good. So that whatever God has going on in this world, as messed up as it might be, there is someone behind it who is fundamentally good and looking for good things to become a reality that there's more to life than just this. Just imagine that for a minute. Who would sit there and go, that, that, that sounds like good news? Now imagine that this God who's good wants to know you. And that he's personal. It's not just some force. It's not just some principle. But, but that he has personality, that he has feelings, that he has emotions, that, that, that he has likes and dislikes, that he has a character about him. And that God loves people. Imagine that for a moment. That, that, that there, there is this principle or this force or this personality behind it who is fundamentally good, who actually loves people, who's, con- who's concerned about people, who cares about people. And more than just people, but even this, this world itself, this creation, that, that, that this good force, this good power, this good personality actually looks and goes, I care about this place and about the things that inhabit it. I care about it. And I want to see my goodness come in the middle of it. Who, who would hear that and go, now, believe it or not, who would hear that and just go, wow, that would sound like good news, right? Now, imagine for a moment it goes a, a step further. Just entertain the possibility for a second 
that this good God who stands behind it all, who's seeking to bring his goodness and love and care to this creation that, that he made, he wants to be so intimate with people that he actually becomes a human being and that he actually comes to this world. And he became something tangible, someone that you could meet, someone that you could talk to, someone that you could touch, someone that could talk to you. Imagine for a moment that God loved people so much that he came in that kind of way, even though it was degrading to him, debasing to him, even though it was coming down from heaven itself, but that God actually did that. What do you do with a God like that? Who kind of hears, that's kind of crazy, that's wild, that's, that's not really even believable. But do you hear that and go, if that were true... Man, that, that would be like great. That would be awesome. That would be good news. You, you with me? Now imagine that this, this God who comes to earth to become so noble and real and personal loves people so much that he even chooses to sacrifice himself for the sake of others. That this God has a spirit of humility and he says, I will lower myself to elevate you. I will hurt myself to spare you from hurt. I will judge myself to spare you from judgment. I will do things to myself so that you can thrive and grow and live and that this God actually loves you so much he dies for you. Now imagine this God who did it when he says that he died for you. It means all of you, but also each of you. So he did it for those of you here that um, don't really care about him. That he did it for those of you here who do really care about him, but you're kind of on the outs with him. That he did it for those of you here who love him deeply, but man, your life is a mess. And you know you fail him, and you know you disappoint him, and if the way you treated God is the way that you treated other people, those other people would be gone in your life years ago. But God loves you that much, and he still does it for you. Imagine he does it for you, no matter how just kind of messed up you are. Maybe evil is the operative word in your life, or twisted, or distorted, or broken? Who would hear that there's a God who loves you so much that he came and did that for you? Yeah, for you. Who would hear that and go, that sounds unbelievable, that sounds kind of crazy, but if that were true, well, that would be good news. Are you with me? And imagine this same God then comes to you. And says, and I want to offer you things, purpose, hope, meaning, inner transformation, supernatural power to deal with the things that would enslave and defeat you otherwise, that he offers you a future, salvation, rescue, liberation, eternity. You could hear that and go, that might sound crazy. I don't know if I believe that. But just imagine for a moment right now, if it were true, would you hear that and go, geez, that sounds like good news. All right? See, everything I just described to you is what Christians believe to be true. And that's what this hill is all about. See, to be missional is not to go off on mission trips. It's not to say, I'm going to go to India or Africa or Indonesia or something like that to do mission work. That's so myopic. That's so small. Missional means nothing more than this. 
I have got a focus that goes bigger and broader than myself that's rooted in this idea of good news that God loves people. All of them. Everywhere. And the hope and the meaning and the purpose he brings is actually true. Hill number five is this. To say that that thing that is so true is so important and so good that I'm consumed by it, that I'm obsessed by it, that it marks me, that it kind of fills me inside out, that it moves me and motivates. It's something so central that it's the substance of who I am and comes out in everything I do. Are you with me? Now let's talk church. If you're looking at this, it says, we believe the church is meant to partner with God in bringing his restoration to our world. Now, there seems to be all different kinds of ways that people kind of experience church or think about church or or expectations they have of what church kind of at some fundamental level is supposed to be. Let me give you a few. And they often go by metaphors. A lot of people, when they think about church, they think about it this way. It's a hospital. It's a hospital. It's a place for wounded broken people to kind of come and heal. I don't need hands or anything, but is that how you think about church today? Some people think about it like a nursing home. It's a place for old people. Maybe because the churches they walk into seem to be marked by people in their 60s forward, right? Sorry if you're in your 60s, but you're old. Get over it. Um, It's a place for old people to go to wait until they die and find some comfort and meaning in their last years of life. Who's here like 23 years old going, man, that's what I'm so looking for in church right now? Some people think about it that way, nursing home, or or, or maybe this. Some people, I think, tend to think about church like um, sanctuary, refuge. It's a place to go and be safe a place to be protected, a place to find some security and comfort from the storms of the world or the storms of life, or maybe to even be shielded from it for a while or insulated against it. Do you think about church that way? Some people I find think about it this way, maybe unwittingly. It's dinner theater. It's a place to uh, get fed while you watch a good show. All right, straight up on that one, right? Yeah? But look at this again. What is Jesus' heart for the church? Can I offer an alternate metaphor instead? Have you ever heard of a FOB or an FOB? It's a military term. You know what it means? Forward operating base. 
Right now, the U.S. military has arguably over a thousand military bases, or FOBs, scattered throughout the world. In Afghanistan and Iraq, but other places as well, there are places where, where U.S. troops are deployed, finding themselves on the front line of a conflict or a place of hostility. And what an FOB or a forward operating base serves to do is be a place where they can get prepared. It's a place where they deploy from. It's a place where they get resourced And it's a place where they send out into the mission at hand in a hostile, dangerous territory. Imagine what a forward operating base would be if you took the mission component out of it. It was just, well, we're just going to kind of go and hang out there. Heard the food's good, right? Or maybe let me give you a different metaphor. Think about church like this. Base camp. You ever see, like, these insane people who try to, like, climb Everest? I'm sorry, if you need oxygen to climb, you know, you're just climbing too high. Can we just agree on that right now? But you see these people who try to do, like, K2 or, or Everest, and you ever read about their stories or hear about their experiences? What they do is they have a series of base camps, Now, the purpose of the base camp is similar to an FOB. It's a place to go and acclimate and get prepared. And let me ask you, get prepared for what? To go out and climb the mountain. These base camps will be set up to help people acclimate to the oxygen deprivation and the other conditions that they'll face to get their stuff together and find the strength and find the resources to take the next step of the mission at hand, climbing the mountain before them. Would you be impressed, though, if your friend came to you and said, yeah, I climbed Everest. Really, tell me about it. Well, yeah, there was like this great base camp at 10,000 feet, and, and, and the food was great, and the beds were comfortable, and, uh, and man, they just had some like great like movies on DVD that we could watch. And we, we went and hung out there, spent a couple of weeks, and then came home. Would you be like, you kind of missed something there? I think that's how people treat church today. They come, they gather, they sing, they learn, they pray, and then they go home. It's like Ferris Bueller, it's over, go home, right? What are you still doing here? And they never go out and climb the mountain. Guys, God's got a mission for you. God's got a mission for us. For him, it's critical. It is nothing short of redeeming and restoring every aspect of who we are and all creation because God exists and God is good and God loves this world and God loves you and God loves the people of this world and God is not satisfied. He is on mission until every single aspect of what this world is and who we are is redeemed and restored. That is a pretty big mission. Would you agree? And Jesus comes to each of you and he says, I want you to be a part of it. You've got a role to play because the way that I want to accomplish my mission, God says, is through you. 
Each of you, and I know some of you are sitting there going, well, I'm too young. Yeah, through you. I'm too old if you still draw breath through you. I'm too stupid. No, you're not. Through you. I'm too messed up through you. Because just like churches, I find people tend to think of themselves in all kinds of ways as well. Maybe you define yourself. You know, the way you think about yourself is kind of like through your relationships. Who are you? And maybe what defines you is you say something like this, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. I'm a spouse. I'm a friend. Maybe you are here today and you define yourself by, by your career. I'm an engineer. I'm a teacher. I'm an office slave. Right? You know what I mean. Maybe you're here today and you define yourself by those things you like, like, you know, your interests, your hobbies. I'm an athlete. I'm a coach. I'm theatrical. I'm a movie buff. How do you define yourself here today? Just like churches, for people, I find there's also a critical piece that's often missed. Because in Jesus' way, in God's way of looking at you, you're also defined in a way that's often missed. Can I give it to you today? God looks at you, and you know what he sees? An agent. You're an agent. You can go secret agent if you want to go that way. You can get, go special operations if you go that way. You can go middleman if you want to go that way. I don't care. You're an agent. You are the one that God wants to work through to redeem and restore every aspect of this creation. I don't know why God does it this way. Maybe because he's nuts. But that's what he chooses to do. Through you, God looks at you and says, you're my agents. You're my feet on the ground. You're the ones that are placed, or maybe it's this way, you're my insurgents. You are my insurgents in a dark, broken world. Placed where you are to bring my kingdom about. I mean, I think about what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. You ever hear that one? You're the salt of the earth, Jesus says. He says that to you. For anyone who, who, who believes those things that I said earlier, you are the salt of the earth. Now, can I ask you, when you eat your food, do you actually see the salt? And if you do, you're eating way too much salt, okay? <laughs> but you don't, right? Because what does salt do? It stays invisible. It permeates in. It diffuses itself into whatever it touches. And what does it do? It changes everything. What does it mean that God looks at you and says, you are my insurgents, you are my agents, you are my salt. And I have placed you into this world not to draw attention to yourself, not to weigh the flags, not to get on bullhorns, but to be that change agent in a lost and broken world to help me restore and redeem every aspect 
of this world. God's kingdom is advancing because God has a mission. And guys, let me tell you today, when he looks at you, he says, you have a crucial role to play. That's what hill number five is about. That's what it means to be missional. There's this uh, really cool passage. It comes, um, well, it's a New Testament letter. It's called Romans. Basically written by this early follower of Jesus to to a a fledgling group of uh, of Christians, uh, of believers in the city of Rome, trying to figure out what does it mean to be the salt of the earth when we're, we're plunged in the heart of the pagan empire. And look at what, what, what this follower of Jesus, a man named Paul, look at what he writes to them. He says, the same Lord is Lord of all. Christians, Romans, pagans. The same Lord of Lo- is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Christians, Romans, pagans how come because everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved christians romans pagans imagine for a moment that there is a god who loves this world and loves people so much that no matter who you are where you've come from what you've become or where you've been God says, I love you, and I will richly bless all who call upon my name. Because when that happens, mission accomplished. With me so far. But I love what he goes on to say. So how do we make that mission happen? How does this actually take place? Well, he goes on, he says, but how, how? Well, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? If calling on the name of the Lord is the way to enter into this new reality with Christ, how can they do it if they don't trust him? If they don't believe in him, right? Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The rabbit hole goes deeper. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they call upon the name of the Lord if they haven't believed? And how can they believe if they haven't even heard? Like, how do I put my faith in someone I don't know anything about? You with me? And the rabbit hole goes deeper. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Welcome to your role in this world. Because what God wants is for people to call on his name to call on his name and find that rich blessing in him, but they can't do it if they don't believe and they can't believe if they haven't heard and they can't hear if you don't step in to the role of God's agent and partner with him and what he's seeking to bring. And I love how it kind of ends, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. No, I think there's a lot of things that are beautiful in the human body, but feet are not one of them. Some people get into feet. I think God invented shoes for the express purpose of covering them. How about you? But I read this and I realize that God has a foot fetish. 
all right? You got a role to play. God wants people saved. God wants people blessed. God wants people to know the good news, but it ain't going to happen if people don't get away from the word preach. It's weird. It's churchy. People don't share with them, witness to them, express to them, talk to them, help them. It's not going to happen without you. And God looks at you and goes, you know what's beautiful? When you use those feet to walk across that room, to walk up to that friend, to walk up to that person and share this amazing dream, this amazing hope to share his good news. Because for God, this missional heart for a lost and broken world, it defines everything. Let me get personal with it today. I want to show you a picture. All right, here it is. This is my dad, uh, the one on the left. Uh, the one on the right is actually my uh, 15-year-old daughter, Reagan. I know she looks young for her age. This was taken 10 years ago, maybe eight. More significantly, this was taken arguably three to five years before um, my dad died uh, by taking his own life in a place of extreme hopelessness and despair. This is my dad. I love my dad. I miss my dad. I want to see my dad again. Have you been there with someone in your life? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you been there? Someone you've lost? I want to see my dad again. Let me tell you a little bit about my dad's life. My dad was raised in a Catholic home, in a Christian home. His mom practiced more than his dad did, but let me kind of tell you about the journey along the way. He went to Mass every Sunday, or at least as, as long as his parents could make him. He went to Christian school, Catholic school, K through 8, and then 9 through 12. And then apparently he didn't get enough, so he went to Loyola and extended it for 13, 14, 15, and 16. And then when he was, yeah, it's a weird term, but of age... He ran from it, all of it, as fast as he could. By the time I was born and through my formative years, my dad was an atheist. The label or moniker Catholic was probably there somewhere in his life, but in all reality, in terms of his worldview, what he believed, how he identified himself and where he found his hope, he was an atheist, a secular humanist for all intents and purposes. It, it kind of bled to agnostic a little bit later in life. And I remember so many times trying to have a conversation with my dad. But you know, those of you who have been in those kinds of situations with a parent especially, or, or maybe even a spouse or a kid, you kind of know how 
well, as Jesus put it, no prophet is really welcome in his hometown. When you go there and you have that kind of close relationship, it's easy to dismiss because of, well, the relationship. Are you with me? I remember kind of living with this A, low-grade anxiety because I didn't feel like I was being bold enough or I didn't feel like I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I always felt like I was disappointing God in some kind of way. But then at the other hand, struggling with this frustration of going, but he doesn't listen. He doesn't care. He, he doesn't hear it from me. And kind of having this secret wish that there would be people who would come into his life that would share the hope with him. You know what I mean? But the right kind of people. And here's what I mean. It would have to be people that, that spoke my dad's language. And I don't mean English here, all right? You, you get what I mean? People who spoke his language, who spoke at his level and spoke into the questions he was asking. People that, that kind of understood where he was coming from. People that he saw as peers. People that he would listen to. People that would meet him where he was at, and not in some kind of condescending way, but because that's where they had come from, where they were at, to people that would put up with him. People that would deal with his belligerence, his chiding, who wouldn't tuck tail and run at the first sign of, of, of confrontation or, or, or right off, but that, and people that were perseverant. People that wouldn't give up on him. I remember hoping this for my dad, praying for this God that there would be people in his life that would care about him enough and care about what you want in his life enough that they'd be missional. And maybe my dad could come and call on the name of the Lord someday. Now again, I'm not doing show of hands here, but have you ever had someone like that in your life? Do you have someone in your life like that still? I remember thinking things like, I wish there was like a church that wasn't just like every other church that was obsessed with reaching people like my dad a place that he could come to and he would fit, that would be welcomed, that would speak the way he speaks and operate the way he operates and through it all be salt in his life. And that just kind of scratches the surface. There's other people in my life like this still. Siblings, cousins, uncles, friends, and even beyond that, just some people that have come across and have shared life with in small little sections that, that I don't have the opportunity to do daily life with because they live far away or they travel in different circles. And you have that hope, I wish there was someone who could do what I can't do because I'm not there. I wish there was someone who loved God and was willing to share that hope 
for the people who are so important to me. And that's when it kind of hit me. My bet is right now, there are friends and moms and dads, sons and daughters or spouses living throughout the country who have family members and friends right here in McHenry or Lakemore or Lake Villa or, or Woodstock or Crystal Lake or wherever you happen to live that are hoping and praying the exact same thing. I wish there was someone who is there that would be willing to listen, who speaks their language, who'd be willing to witness and share so that their dad or daughter or friend could call upon the name of the Lord too. That's why we do it. Because people like my dad matter to God. Matter more to him than I could ever dream and he matters a lot to me. And there is this amazing message of good news, of hope that people can have if we who have come to believe it would be willing to turn our attention out instead of just within. I have found there is another term that so aptly describes people who call on the name of the Lord. One that goes beyond relationship, interest, career. Here's what it is. Selfish. I find, and I find this here, I find that we who call upon the name of the Lord are selfish. We like to hog the good news. We, we, we found it. We got it. We're happy. It's like people who like move to like new developments in the country because they like that way of life. I should be allowed to move there, but no one else should be allowed to move after me. You, you know what I mean? To keep it pristine. People matter to God. Christians, those of you here today, don't keep it to yourself. For Jesus, sharing it is a hill to die on. Put yourself on the line. Be willing to be brave. Be willing to just be vulnerable. It's not about manipulating or coercing. It's not about threatening or anything else. It's about sharing what you've experienced. Just sharing the hope that you've come to have. Sharing what you've learned. Sharing the good news. Entrusting God with it from there. Because I'll tell you this. There is no telling what God can do with that. How God could take a simple conversation 
and transform it into the most life-changing event over the course of someone's life. For those of you here today who are Christians, don't be selfish. You have the best, best thing imaginable. Don't keep it to yourself. There's a world that's hungry for it. And for those of you here who, not, who have not yet maybe come to terms with this, I want to let you know this. You are welcome here. You're welcome here to hear more, to wrestle with it, to see if you can believe it in your own life. And I want to encourage you, don't keep your doubts or questions to yourself. Because God thinks you matter. And this is a place where we think you matter too. No matter what you believe. So I want to invite you, get on your feet, if you'd rise with me. All, all, all uh, October, geez, I'm ahead. All August, we've been praying this prayer together. It comes out of Acts 2. It's really a picture of what God delights in, what God wants for his people, and we've turned it into a prayer. Can you give it to me, please? And I want you to look at the last line. In Acts 2, it says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was written in this original text because for that early church, for God, this meant everything. So I want to invite you to start by praying for this and that last line specifically with me today. Let's pray. Lord, Devote us to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Fill us with awe at the wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostles. Bring us together in common. May we sell our possessions and goods to help those in need. We will continue to meet breaking bread in our homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts. Receive our praise, O God. May we enjoy the favor of all the people. Add to our number daily those who are being saved.